Guys, this has been a weird year, a, re- a weird week, a weird two weeks for our church, and a, um, a very strange week with, uh, I don't know, if did y'all hear there was an election this week? So, I want to start off, I'm going to say something that's going to be slightly controversial, but you just have to bear with me. In the original Star Wars trilogy, there is a phrase that's used twice, and I've never liked it. I've always been like, what in the world is this line all about? It's used once in Empire Strikes Back, as you can see here, C-3PO saying to R2-D2, because he's trying to fix, R2-D2 is trying to fix what's going on, and he's like, I need help with my leg. Why are you having delusions of grandeur, as he says, which is a weird thing to say for a robot anyway, but whatever, it's Star Wars. But then you go to the next movie, Return of the Jedi, and they say it again. It is Han Solo now saying it to Chewbacca about Luke Skywalker, who's now like Chewbacca's like, hey, he's a Jedi now. He's like, what? Like I'm out of it for a while, and everybody's having delusions of grandeur. My controversial statement is I've never liked this line <laughs> either time, <laughs> and it's in there twice. But as I was praying about the message this week, several things happened, and. I decided to include this. My title for this message this week is related to my message last week, which was called Slinging Stones. So we're going to call this Slinging Stones 2, is what I was going to call it. But then I was like, well, that's not quite it. And then this delusions of grandeur is like, yeah. I was like, well, that's not quite it. I really should tell you what it's actually about. And it's a verse about David being man after God's own heart. So this is my title, which is kind of like from Rock and Bullwinkle. Um, three people knew what I was talking about there. So this week has been, uh, since I live in America, kind of a crazy week. And my mind, so here's what happened, okay? So two weeks ago, we had the COVID exposure. So last week, we decided to do streaming-only service, which meant we pre-recorded everything and loaded it so that it would go live on YouTube. And I watched it at home with my family um, live. Like, that way, we would all just be separate when, you know, everything was good, and we'd wait it out, and then we could meet again today. And so because I didn't have to come to church last Sunday and I was just going to, you know, see it on my TV like everybody else, which was cool, actually, I have to say, um, I, went, I went running last Sunday morning. And while I was running, I thought, oh, man, I forgot because, you know, we pre-recorded everything. Kayla and I met outside. We did the music. And then I had the message and Pastor Jeff sent a video and it was all this thing. And I edited it all together. And I finished it like really late Friday night because I wanted to be done on Saturday and I uploaded it and everything. Was, I was really happy that I was done, but I had meant to, I had realized that during the message, while I was sitting over there, over, you know, in the kind of by the fire pit recording it, I was like, I'm talking about, if you, if you weren't here, um, the message was pretty good. It was about <laughs> David <laughs> being anointed the king of Israel while Saul was still the king. And frankly, that version that I did was okay. I actually shared the same message again at Builders of the Faith on Tuesday, and that one was awesome because I'd had time to think through it, and I fixed it up and made it better. So you can go find our recording of it, or if you can find their website, I'm sure they have a record. They were streaming it, so that one's better. But either way, the whole point was that God has anointed David as king, but he doesn't immediately become the king. He, he has him over here shepherding and slinging stones, you know, and then all these kingly things are going on, and he's not a part of any of that. He's over here slinging stones, and then all of a sudden a giant comes up, and none of the kings and none of the armies know how to do anything, and David comes kind of in happenstance situation, and he's like, I think I, I think I know how to deal with this. You see? And he learned it 
from slinging stones. And it, the point of it is this, that it's not like, okay, God's got him over here hidden, but don't worry, one day it's all going to break out. One day it's all going to be different. One day, da, da, da. It's not, don't think of it this way. That does apply. I'm not saying it totally doesn't. But my point is, you, you can take a message like, like the Bible's big, the Bible's complex. So you have another verse that says something very true when they're rebuilding the temple about do not despise small beginnings and these sorts of things. That's really important because when God starts something in us, oftentimes, like a seed growing, it starts small, then it grows into a huge tree. That's important message. Very godly, very biblical. That's not what I'm talking about right now, okay? So set that aside. That's good. We're keeping that. But what we're talking about is slinging stones here. God's like, I need you to, you know, he's going, why am I not where the kings are? Why am I not learning the kingly things? Why am I not doing what kings do? You got me over here shepherding. And God's saying, I need you to learn how to throw these rocks well. Because the situation that you're going to run into needs you to know how to do that. Exactly. So he's, he, he, God knows what he's doing is the whole point. And if David had taken a kind of halfway approach to what he's doing and just complained the whole time, he wouldn't have learned how to sling stones or kill bears and kill lions. And when it was time to kill the giant, he would have been just like everybody else. I don't think when he shows up and says, hey, I got this, that he's really thinking he's got this really phenomenal idea. I think it's like, why is no one else doing this? You know, why is no one else throwing this rock here? You know, I don't want to waste too much time on what I was preaching last week. But the point is that the slinging of the stones is what God was doing in him the whole time. It became important later in a different way, but it didn't change. It was the same skill. Okay, God needed him to learn that. I knew I'd preached this, and I knew that I had recorded it, and I knew it was going out on a TV in an hour, and I was running last Sunday morning, and I was thinking, ah, people are going to... I meant to put a subtext at the bottom that said, this is not about the election, or this is not about the president. This is not about Donald Trump or whatever, you know. And I forgot to do that because it was late. And so I was like, oh, man. Somebody, people are going to think that I'm talking about the president. And a couple people did, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I just wasn't, okay? So, but the thing is, um, I was running, and I put in another message on my, on my phone while I was running, and it was another pastor from Australia named Mark Sayers, and he was preaching on this same text, basically. But the part right before where Samuel comes to Saul and says, the kingdom is taken away from you. God has a man after his own heart. And I thought, man, I need to preach that next week. But then as I was running and listening, and I knew what my other message was going to be, and I knew that the election was going to happen in two days, I was like, then everybody's definitely going to think I'm talking about the election. So let me just go ahead and say, I'm not talking about the election, like, at all, okay? Like, zero. I know it's like an elephant in the room, and I know everybody has different feelings about it. My whole point is that nothing that we're doing here is changing at all with any of this. So we can care about that, and that's fine, and it is fine, and you should care as American citizens and stuff. But... Um, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about our hearts. And so when I'm talking about kings and things like that, don't start mixing in Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and this kind of thing, because you're just going to miss the bigger point, okay? The main verse for this is where you find Saul has been anointed as the king of Israel, and he's finally disobeyed God to the point that God says, that's enough. He's not the king anymore. He has the prophet go tell him, 
you know, he's disobeyed me again. That's it. And you see in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, the prophet saying to King Saul these words, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. I'm going to read it again. This is the main verse for today. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, again, Donald Trump is not the person that he's talking to, and Joe Biden is not the man after his own heart. Okay, we got that clear? This is you, okay? You can pick which one of these people. Basically, the main point of this is we can choose to be men and women after God's heart or something else. And when choosing something else, you lose everything. So this message I have is basically my mind as a blender from the last week, which involved COVID-19 happening, the election happening, this message happening, my message from last week happening. I gave it twice. And we were finishing reading the book of Celebration of Discipline in our Form and Fire book club. And all of this stuff just ground into my head into this sort of um, call. It's a prophetic word, I think. So it's not put together like a normal message, meaning like, you know, point one, point two, and doesn't it build on itself. It's just sort of like little vignettes. But the main point, the main, 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 main point is that God is looking for people that are after his own heart. And we can choose to be that, or we can choose to be something else. And if we choose to be something else, we lose everything. Just like Saul did. Because God had chosen Saul to be the king. Reluctantly, you know, they asked for a king. He said, look, guys, you don't really want this. They asked again. He's like, guys, I, you uh, trust me. You don't want a king. I'm the king. It's good. And they say, no, we really, really want a king. Fine, I'll give him to you, but you're not going to like it. And then they don't like it. You know, or, you know, you, that, gets, that comes kind of later. But the point is, it doesn't work out well. You know, but God has, a, God has called this guy. God has established him. He's like, he's the guy, you know. And so it's not that he, um, it's not that he doesn't have a relationship with God. He does. But he's broken it by turning his heart that was towards God towards himself and his ego and his fear of the people around him and all these kinds of things. And I think we do this all the time. Jesus says in Mark 8, um, then calling to the crowd to to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So you see, Saul is caught in a place where God has given him a job, and initially he does a good job with it. But then the fears around his job come on to him and wanting to please people or wanting to whatever, and he ends up compromising, and the whole thing is taken away. And the human situation that we're in is when we, we feel like we have to grab and hold on to the things that you know, we feel are most precious to us. And Jesus is, is saying here, if you do that, you will definitely lose these things. But if you trust me and follow me, you win everything. This is incredibly difficult, and it's absolutely true. So I was listening to Mark Sayers. He's a pastor from Australia. He's not American. But the message he gave was 
the week before. So he's, he's aware of what's going on. Everybody knows we had an election in America, so it's not like it's a hidden fact. But it wasn't really affecting him as much as it affects us because he's Australian, okay? His mind is not in the same place that we are. But he was speaking, I believe, prophetically about what he thought COVID-19 was causing in the world. He said that um, in, the orig- in, the first, in the Protestant Reformation, there was a big, what happened, there was a lot of things the Catholic Church was doing that were wrong, and then this Reformation brought an end to a lot of that. It caused some other problems, but like when you read the 95 Thesis or the things that Martin Luther was addressing, it's, you know, these are corrupt things. The tr- these, you've lost your way. The ca- same thing we're talking about here. You had a job to do, and you're not doing it. Here's a list of things that we need to change, you know, this sort of thing. But a big piece of what happened, he was saying, in the Protestant Reformation is the Bible had been, co- like had been held away from everyone. You know, we didn't quite have the printing press yet that was happening, you know, similar time frame. And, but not just technologically. The Bible was, the church had the Bible. You, re- you didn't read it. You didn't have one at home. You see what I'm saying? You came to church, they read it to you, they told you what it meant, which that's, that's, that's powerful, and it can be corrupt. It, you know, like if I tell you I'm reading, you don't know what the Bible says. I'm going to read it to you, but then I'm going to kind of tell you what, I'm, you know, there's a, there's, you know. So he was saying that what happened is the Bible got into the hands of the normal people and things started to change like the Protestant Reformation. And he was thinking that there's a new Reformation happening now, partially related to COVID-19, where the Bible is getting back into the hearts of people. So we're talking about our hearts being completely his or our hearts being after God's. Like we, God wants a person that's after his heart. He wants our heart to be after his heart. That's it. And so often we're distracted by all these things. And so he was thinking that COVID-19, God's actually using it, not causing it, using it to take our hearts back to God. And I was like, gosh, I think he's right. And as I was listening, um, he started describing the Christianity that we all live in in the West and maybe everywhere in some senses, you know, that that so much of it is really about ourselves and our ego and our own self-focus or what makes us feel good. Or, you know, therapy. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good, okay? It's not to say that feeling good is bad or that feeling bad is good. But that uh, the point isn't that. That's kind of a side effect, you see? Seek first my kingdom and, you know, righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Not like, you know, the prosperity gospel, which isn't true and things like that, you see? So we get confused into thinking um, about ourselves more than we're actually following Jesus. We're not taking up our cross. We're trying to hold on to it. We're just putting a veneer on it. They're like, yeah, I'm doing the Jesus thing. And no one's telling us that that's wrong, you know. And then you have events that happen that can you, get, God can use as a purifying force in our lives as society, and by society I mean church society, to on a grand scale wipe that clean in a way that might make a major difference, okay. So, like, it's uncomfortable, we have, if we're going to meet together, we've got to wear a mask. Like, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't either. You know, it's like suddenly you have 1% discomfort. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to that, or I'm not doing that, or da, da, da. You know, it's like, whoa, what happened to the lose your life part? Did you miss that? And did, you write, did you white that out of your book? For the young people, white out is this stuff that, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All my references are like from the 70s today. I feel like I need to try harder. So I was, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say something stupid. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, uh, so we see that Saul's heart is divided in insecurity. And then we see what happens because of it. David becomes the king. And he says something really cutting to him. He says, if you had obeyed, the kingdom would have been with your people like forever. But you didn't. That's like a huge deal. Jesus is born in David's family. And again, God knows what's up and knows what's going on. But I mean, like. Both of these things are true. You see what I'm saying? 
That's a big deal. And so Mark Sayers in this message, I'm going to read. I, I wrote down. Now, he was just speaking, you know, like I'm talking right now. So if you typed out verbatim what I said right now and then tried to read it back, you'd be like, gosh, this guy's not very good at talking, you know. But so this is a quote, but it's not a quote like he wrote it. He was just speaking, and I'm going to quote it. But he was saying that a self-absorbed kingdom will not endure. Like this kind of kingdom that Saul had had become self-absorbed, and that kind of kingdom, God's like, that kingdom is not going to endure. This taking up, trying to save your life, you will lose it. That kingdom won't endure. And so he says this, and I'm just going to read it. And He says, the great renewal that God is sending needs to endure. The kingdom of fleshly, soul-driven Christianity cannot endure. Christianity based on individualism cannot endure. Christianity based on the boom-and-bust market of human feelings and emotions alone cannot endure. A Christianity based on a pleasing of what your desires of your soul are and, and using Jesus as a carrier to deliver that where God as some kind of cosmic butler cannot endure. What, uh, that, that was kind of a stream of... Con- what he's saying is that if your kingdom is based on your desires and God just meeting your desires, that can't endure. And so, what does endure? And what does it look like to have a heart after God? It's undivided. The thing that I'm... The, I guess the thing that sticks out to me is that God is so loving and so generous and so willing to accept us and so willing to embrace us and all that kind of thing. But the total, I don't know, if it, I don't know what the word is, totalism or something, the fact that his all-consuming nature means our heart is either after his or we're in compromise and we're lost. And so much of our church, and when I say our church, I mean all of us, has been lost or compromised. And God's calling us back. And he's using everything around that's shaking to call us back. That's good. Because the worst thing in the world is for you to have something you think that works or something you think that's good. Like, for example, if David had been over here complaining the whole time because he thinks... He deserves to be doing something else, and he never learns how to sling stones because that's what God wants him to do. And instead, he starts focusing on what he thinks or imagines kingly things are. I'll take matters into my own hands, and I'll do whatever I need to do to become king or do kingly things. And he starts doing those things. Then he's like, I am really good at these kingly things. And he probably would be because he's kingly, if you follow what I mean. So now he's built this whole persona of being very kingly. And he's really good at all those things. And he's made those things central to his life and his heart and all those sorts of things. And then the moment the actual king is needed, his load-bearing work is completely crumbling. So he's built this whole structure on top of this fake version of what a king has been. And it's not, again, like our verse from last week, it could be built on... Things that are kingly, like the outside appearance of it. But the the core, the structure, there's nothing there. And when God needs something unusual, you're not ready. Hebrews 12 says this, For the, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two, 
any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus, the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus is the only one that we can put our faith in, our hope in. He's the only one who can save us. We've already been singing, Jesus, the name every, above every uh, Jesus, the name above every other name, and you know. There's a reason we say that, because he's the only one who doesn't fail. You can't put your faith in any leader. You can't put your faith in me. You can't put your faith in Jeff. You can't put your faith in the president. You can't put your faith in the pope or whatever. Fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. And when we do put our faith in these people, they let us down, because they do, and they always will. That doesn't mean we don't partner with people. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, like, doesn't mean you go, well, since I'm not going to put my faith in you, Pastor, I'm going to be resistant to everything we do in the church. It's like, no, that's not it at all. Your faith doesn't go into other people. Your faith goes into Jesus. We partner with everyone, you see. And so the thing is, leaders fail like Saul failed. I'll give you another example. I went to like the, these verses keep coming to me. And when you look in Second Chronicles, there's a story of King Asa who actually did a pretty good job. Again, he comes in. He starts cleaning the place up, like we talked about Josiah doing or whatever. He starts tearing these idols down, getting this junk out of the temple. He even says, like, he, like, took his grandmother, who was, like, still sort of a, what do you call him, queen mother or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. She, was, she had, like, a, an idol of her own. He's like, look, you're not going to be queen now, and we're going to have to. Like, he was pretty serious about dealing with things. And they were like, you're all right, dude, you know, and God's going to bless you in this. And then they have some military victories that don't make sense. I mean, there's, like, these huge numbers of people and they end up winning and all this sort of thing. And he takes all this stuff and he, he's clean. He's like, again, so there's like religious reform and there's like military reform. And it's like everything's going really, really well. And they take the gold and the silver and they, and they dedicate it in the temple of God. Now, do you think God needs our money, for example? No, the Bible says he actually doesn't, okay? But do you think when we dedicate money or like the gold and the silver into the temple to God's temple, do you think he might care about that? My answer is yes, he does care about that. Like don't dedicate things to God if you're not going to be serious about it. God does care about it. And then what happens is somebody else attacks and he gets worried. So he takes that money that he dedicated and tries to buy some friends with it. And it doesn't work. And so another prophet, or it's like Hanani, the seer, comes to him, and he says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's like, if you just trusted God, this whole thing would have worked out. But you started trusting yourself again, and you started trusting your money again, or how you could buy your friends again, or all this kind of thing. And again, the real world that we live in, guys, because here's the thing. You can look at a situation and you can go, it's easy to go one of two ways. To like fully, unhealthily invest in everything that's going on in the world emotionally, 
so that your emotions rise and fall with whatever news you're reading and all this kind of stuff. And we've talked so much about this that you know that that's, a, I mean, it's just that it's a bad idea. Or the other easy thing to do, I didn't say good, I didn't say healthy, I said easy. The other easy thing to do is to just fully disengage. Like, I don't pay attention to anything or care about anyone or anything like that at all. And you've seen, even in the Bible, there was religious groups that were doing this sort of thing. Where, you know, certain people interpreted the Messiah's coming in different ways based off this sort of thing. You know, we want him to come and kill everybody and do all this military conquest. And then be like, we see it purely as spiritual and all this, you know. And so what we can do as a church is very easily find ourselves pulled because they're like magnets. And you're pulled to one of these poles. And you have to actively, which is now not easy, resist this to live in the world but not of the world. Okay? Because we should care. Like, God cares enough about each, every single one of us that each of us have different fingerprints. Have you ever thought about that? We're not just some number. God cares about every single one of us enough to give us all individual fingerprints. Individual from every other person in the world. And if you're a super nerd and you want to tell me about something about twins or something, just... Keep it to yourself. My point is, <laughs> my point is, God cares about us and cares about the things we care about. Even the silly things that we don't think anybody else cares about, God cares about them. But at the same time, He's unshaken by them. When we start to care about them, we tend to get shaken by them. And then we start to put our faith in ourselves again and our delusion in ourselves again. And, and this is where it gets back to um, Star Wars for me. This line, delusions of grandeur, this is actually like a thing. I even looked it up, and it seems like it might actually be like a legitimate medical condition. Whatever. I mean, that's fine. It, I think what it is is like you believe something grand about yourself that has it's just not true, and why that happens, I guess no one knows. Whatever. The point is, um, we tend to have delusions again of ourselves in God's spot, you know? Because here's the funny thing about the movie. This is why I brought this Star Wars line up. They call these delusions of grandeur in this movie, but they're both true. I know this is like a major point in my sermon, and we're talking about Star Wars at length, but bear with me. C-3PO accuses R2-D2 of having delusions of grandeur for trying to fix the Millennium Falcon spaceship. He's like, this, why, why are you having delusions of grandeur? Like, what are you doing? But he does fix it, and they get away, and that's good. And then in the second movie, or the third movie, Chewbacca's talking about Luke being a Jedi Knight, and, and Han Solo's like, what? He's having delusions of grandeur, but Luke is a Jedi Knight. You see what I'm saying? And so I think that there's some base human need to do something grand that God has put within us. I think it's good. I think it's right. And I think like our individual fingerprints, these kinds of feelings are as unique in the same sort of way. That's why we like movies. That's why we like stories where people accomplish great things. We're supposed to do great things. We're not supposed to be weak and you know, eh, people, we're supposed to do things, especially us that have the faith of Jesus. I mean, there's nothing anyone can do that can hurt us. 
But it's when we start to put that faith in ourselves. It's we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You can't do anything. By, I mean, you might be able to do a little bit, but it's going to fall apart. Like, what, good, what does Jesus say here? What good does it do um, to gain the whole world but sacrifice your soul? And I, I like the part, is there anything worth more than your soul? We know that there's nothing worth more than our soul. He's implying that with his question. But we act as though there's a lot worth more than our soul so often all the time. And so some practical thoughts about how to deal with this. If you did not read that book from last month, I highly recommend that you get it. It's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And all it does, you don't have to read the whole thing. Each one is like a chunk. He goes through several different, uh, nine maybe different um, practices that Christian people should be engaged in. Prayer, you know, worship, um, studying the Scripture, uh, yeah, repentance and, and, and prayer, like all these different things. And he's talking about what they end up doing in a Christian person's life, and then he gives you steps about how to accomplish them. And when I ran across the one on simplicity, because I was like, you know, all this stuff, you're like, yeah, I know that. I mean, that's very, this is good, church stuff. Da, da, da. But you hit this one, this simplicity, and I was like, my gosh, I don't know a whole lot of people that are living this way, like, at all. Like, and it's not about, like, don't have any stuff because stuff is bad. I mean, it's not that simple, this whole thing he's talking about. He's talking about putting your faith in your stuff and putting your faith in the things you have. And I was like, yeah, I talk a lot against that, but I definitely think I do it. And I found myself, as I was reading his book, thinking about, Again, like I said, I, I, I told you this message is kind of a blender. So where my mind stays, okay, is what I started thinking about. I'm reading this book about simplicity. I'm thinking about the fact that I preached on and I'm going to share again on slinging stones. And I'm thinking about the fact that I'm talking about heart after God, not a heart after this. And I'm like, what is my heart after? And we're having an election in our country, and now we don't know who won. And, da, 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 and I'm, am I concerned about that? I'm worried. Da, da, da. My friends are worried. Different friends are worried in different ways. And, da, 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 da. and I have this thing, and then I'm reading this book and finishing this. So my mind goes to, what, is, what am I spending my time thinking about so much? And then I got convicted because <laughs> I stood up here so many times and told everybody, guys, this social media thing, Y'all really got to be careful because it will destroy your soul and blah, blah, blah. You know, you need to watch the movie on Netflix. And I still stand by everything I said. But I realized that without even thinking about it, my hand would go to my phone and I would be like on something trying to figure out what's going on or something like that. Before I even thought about it, it was like literally a reaction, like a physical, I don't even know. It just happened, you know. I would, I would be not thinking of anything and then all of a sudden I'm staring at this phone you know, and I told my wife, I was like, I need to make some extreme measures. So actually what I did, at least for a season, I got my old phone out and deleted everything. I was like, I need it to work as a phone, and I need to get email and a couple other things on it, but I need to get away from this stuff, you know, not get away from it like I was saying earlier, like, you know, but the fact that it's controlled, like my heart now is caught into this thing, and I need to break a habit before I can come back into it. Because... That's what I needed to do. I'm not saying everybody else needs to do that. You probably do, but you don't have to. But the, uh, um, <laughs> the thing is where our heart is, okay? Where our heart is. If you're jo like The last chapter in that book is about celebration. And it should be convicting that Christian people are supposed to be the most joyous pe joyful people in the world. 
I believe that 100%. And I'm not talking about personality, okay? I'm not like, woo, you know, I'm not that guy, you know. But I should still be joyful. You see what I'm saying? It's not personality. And so it's not emotional even. It's the overwhelming joy of knowing the love of God in my life and the fact that none of this stuff, whatever stuff is, you fill in the blank, will really affect me in any way. I don't live like that most of the time. Most of the church doesn't live like that most of the time. Jesus lived like that, and he lived differently than the rest of us. That's why we put our faith in him. But he's calling us to take up our cross and follow. I'm going to read this verse again one more time. One more time, and then I have one more thing to read, and then we're done. Jesus says in Mark 8.34, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Some of us in our country, in our situation, in our freedom, all of which is good, We get lulled to sleep by all of this in the church. Not talking about anybody. I'm talking about the church. Believers in Jesus in our country or in the West. We have a struggle. Everybody has struggles. When Jesus says, take up your cross, this is the struggles, you know. Ours is that it's one of ours, I guess. I'm not going to be so you know, hyperbolic to say this is the struggle. But I think one of the big struggles we struggle with as a society, Christian people, is that it's really because of our lack of um, discomfort of any kind, it becomes very easy to be lulled asleep or into thinking that um, we start to put our faith in our comfort and our faith and our ability to provide comfort to ourselves. And the moment you start to stress that, this whole faith thing comes into question. That means that we haven't taken seriously that verse. Jesus came to heal us and to restore the world to himself, but he calls us to follow him as he walks the path to the cross. And when we see again in this Hebrews verse that I've, I've read here, Jesus, it, Jesus knows what he's asking us to do because he did it. So he's not saying, hey, guys, yeah, I know I'm God and all, and I know I don't really experience pain or anything or really know anything bad about life, really, but I want you to suffer a lot in my name because, you know, I'm worth it. It probably wouldn't be bad if he even said that, but he's not saying that. Therefore, since we have a great high priest that has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, that he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So it doesn't matter who the president is. Um, it doesn't matter who, um, it doesn't matter if, if meeting as a church is easy or if we have all the money or if we have none of the money or if we're forbidden from meeting. It doesn't matter. That changes nothing. 
all it changes is how comfortable it may be for us. And <laughs> we have to be willing to be uncomfortable for Jesus or that we don't even have a faith. You're probably faking it. Okay? Jason Upton has a song called Power and Poverty. And I'm going to read you the lyrics to this. And he's not talking about money. But if you don't have any money, it's kind of a short track to getting, getting here. You know what I mean? It's not not talking about money, but it's not talking. You see what I mean? It's about dependence. It's about dependence on God. Learning to be dependent on God. You can be dependent on God if you have nothing. You can be dependent on God if you're the richest person in the world. It's just harder. Bob Dylan has a line that says, if you ain't got nothing, you ain't got nothing to lose. <laughs> the path to po the understanding the power of poverty is easier the less you have, but it's something that God's calling us all to. And the lines go like this. There's a power in poverty that breaks principalities and brings the authorities down to their knees. There's a brewing frustration, an ageless temptation to fight for control by some manipulation. But the God of the kingdoms and the God of the nations, the God of creation, sends this revelation through the homeless and penniless. Jesus, the Son, the poor will inherit the kingdom to come. And where will we turn when our world falls apart and all of the treasures we've stored in our barns can't buy the kingdom of God? And who will we praise when we've praised all our lives? Men who build kingdoms and men who build fame, but heaven does not know their names. And what will we fear when all that remains is God on the throne with a child in his arms and love in his eyes? thought a lot about this week. Um, this whole message just is to say, no matter what happens, whether you like what's happened with this election or whether you really don't like it, Jesus is still on the throne. My God. he's calling us to a great calling of fellowship with him and it will be costly and it always has been and it always will be and it does interact with our culture it does interact with our society but it's not defined by it And he's calling you to this fellowship. To be people after his own heart. And we can do it. We can do it. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a proper understanding of grandeur, that you're calling us to grand things, but that you don't look at the outward appearance. You look at the heart. 
And I pray that we would have hearts that are undivided and hearts after you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.